talking about the motif of light and darkness. And that was our text from Isaiah 8 and 9 today, out of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is that the world is a dark place, um, but light has shined upon us from the outside in Jesus. And, and that's what our salvation means. So if you want to just give quickly, maybe five or ten seconds or whatever you, you can do, um, tell us, if you would be, how long ago it was that you were called out of darkness into light. When did you get saved? And maybe a quick synopsis of where you were and how it happened. Were you at church? Did your parents lead you to the Lord? And when you became, uh, when you came out of darkness to light. I'm going to start and put her on the, she's a pastor's wife. She has to do it. Julia, tell us how old you were when you got saved and a little bit about the circumstances. I was 10 years old when I Go got ahead. saved. I, got, I was 10. Um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, but it's a Presbyterian church that they do preach um, the Bible. They preach salvation, but they don't preach eternal security. So I had asked many times for the Lord to save me, but I was always... Um, in thinking that I could lose the salvation, mm-hmm. and I wasn't quite clear what I needed, what um, God needed to do in my life. And we had a vacation Bible school, and we had some American missionaries. They were Baptist, and they p- clearly presented the gospel, and I understood what I needed to do, and I asked the Lord to save me, and I realized that I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all God. Amen. And Amen. I, Amen. We're talking about how you came out of darkness into light. Um, Mike, tell us what, how old were you and a little bit about the circumstances and how you came to the light out of darkness. I was uh, raised in a family that believed in Jesus and everything else, but was in a very liberal uh, Methodist church and sang the songs, Jesus come into my heart and everything else, but never, never really understood it until my first week in Christian school in sixth grade. And my, the teacher, I'm sure, was just going through the plan of salvation as she did every year at the beginning of the year, and it made sense, and God used it to, to lead me to Him. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? How you came, when you came to know the Lord, and a little bit of how He called you out of darkness into light. Anybody else? I'll leave it to your volition. Let me get around there to you, Phil. Blessed to be born in a, in a Christian church. Uh, we went to church down in the city of Trenton. And about eight years old, I really can't, I think it's about eight. Uh, typically on Sunday nights, there was an invitation given, and it was very clear to me that I needed to raise my hand, which I did. Probably wasn't up very long. And I remember being too shy to talk to the pastor, but it's been very clear that uh, that was the day. Amen. Amen. Dawn. I was about 12, and I was raised in a Catholic family, and my brother gave me a Bible, a study Bible, and from that time on, I knew that the Bible was the truth and not what they were teaching us in Catholic school. Okay, and that led to your salvation? Yes. Amen. Amen. Marty. Well, the Lord, you know, I was raised Catholic too, and the Lord let me get to the place where I was empty, and nothing was going to help. Mm. And uh, I came out of a bar, and there was these two guys a couple blocks away. And they asked me a question, and I knew they wanted to talk about God. So did I. Because I was empty, and, you know, they asked me where I was going to go when I died. 
And I told him I was going to go to hell. And then they gave me good news about Jesus. Mm. So, you know, I took the pamphlet with me and, you know, I read it when I went home. And it came to the point where, you know, the invitation was given in the end. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Isn't it amazing? I hope that we never get over that. Sherry. When I was seven years old, I thought I was saved. And as I got to be an adult and older, I kept having doubts. So I started praying and asking God to either show me that I wasn't saved or that I was. And one Sunday morning, I knew without a doubt I was not saved. Amen. I was 41 years old. 41. Amen. That was only a couple of years ago, right? You owe me for that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I, I just wanted to start there tonight because I've, I always find it in very enlightening, encouraging to hear the darkness to light stories uh, that God has. I, I think we could probably go on for eternity someday in heaven with all the people that could share that story in their own background and context. And so I, I hope uh, on live stream tonight you're able to hear those testimonies because they're always encouraging. They're brief, but they're powerful. Thank you for, for sharing that with us tonight. We're going to look through a number of questions. If you could, I'd like just to do the little synopsis that we've done so far in my small group by having you turn back to the passage in Isaiah 8 and 9. So we'll do that as we get underway uh, and some of the questions we're going to try to tackle tonight. Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 18, and I'll just read to verse 2 of chapter 9. That's where we're going to cut off tonight. We'll tackle the rest of it, Lord willing, next Sunday. Isaiah 8, 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents, and Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light in them. Metaphorically, they have no future. Uh, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will uh, be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But for the remnant of God's people, here's what he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." We started off this morning in the sermon trying to say, we're going to talk about these two weeks, the meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, which is in some ways, um, definitely a lot of ways, contrasted to the world or the secular view of Christmas and what it's all about, and there's certainly a conflict there. I mean, there was a conflict in the context of Isaiah 8 and 9 between Ahaz and the surrounding armies and the uh, enemies of Israel. There was a clash of kingdoms and conflict in the first Christmas story when this was fulfilled in Jesus's life between uh, Herod's kingdom and Jesus's kingdom right off the bat and trying to have him killed. And, and so they're very similar scenarios um, because those two 
views of what the meaning of Christmas are um, are at odds with one another, to say the least. I mean, there are two opposing viewpoints, and you can see it becoming more and more obvious and prevalent. Um, I, I went to the store numerous times for various things, this, and, and uh, almost every, it seems like every person who's a, uh, at a cash register or a checkout person will say happy holidays to you, but they almost are not allowed to say Merry Christmas unless you say it first. So I, I, almost every time, happy holidays is what I'm told. And when I say Merry Christmas, a couple of them will say Merry Christmas back. But it seems like they've been told not to say it because Merry Christmas sounds or is in their mind religious. And so uh, there's a war in that sense going on, and those are just some of the small ways that that becomes evident. But obviously we all know that that's just the surface of it all. There's much more to it than that, much more important things than even that, of course. But there's a big difference between meanings. And I, I find that in life to be incredibly crucial, that we understand that and grasp it and see it. Let me just ask you, and, and I'll repeat what you say. I won't walk around this time. What would you say if you could, if we could have a board up here and we had two categories, you know, sacred view of Christ, Christmas or meaning of Christmas and a secular meaning of Christmas, if you could have to put contrasting words, one word in each one of those categories, uh, that would contrast, what would you say? The secular one in contrast to the sacred one. What would two words that you'd say would be true to contrast each one of them? Uh, let me give an example if you're not grasping what I'm saying. I would put um, secular mainly about material things, Christmas mainly about spiritual things. Things that you can touch, tangible things versus things you can't touch per se, intangible. That would be kind of a contrasting between the two. What are one other ones contrasting op opposing views you might think go along that category? Marty. Okay, yeah. That's maybe that's obvious. Um, Marty said Santa Claus in this category, Jesus. And the way that those two characters are. Um, and now, now, I don't know what you did in your house growing up. It was really weird in my house in, in some ways. So we didn't do Easter egg because my dad thought that was wrong. And I would never in my life have been on trick-or-treat because my dad thought that was wrong. But for some reason, we didn't do that, we didn't do that, but we had Santa Claus. I do not get it. I, do, I never put that together. It was like two out of three, I guess I should be happy, right? I mean, uh, um, and I understand that people can make things out of Christmas and maybe not as crucial ways. But I'm for you. The older I get, Marty, I think the more I say, like, in our day and age in which we live, it's important to make definite our views with our kids about what this whole thing's about, right? And, and that, that's a good one. But Santa Claus, Jesus, uh, they're much in contrast, very much in contrast. What was another category you might put in there? Dawn? Yes, I had that exact thing in there. So you got over here, I put it this way, more emphasis on getting, although there's giving, getting, and this is more on giving. And this is the gifts and the gift, Jesus. So you know, sometimes I think people give gifts and they don't understand that all of it should be an overflow of the greatest gift we have and the gift that God gave us in Jesus. In fact, that's part of the sermon next week. So don't steal my stuff, Don. Okay, Mike? Okay, good. And that's another, that'd probably be an undercategory of physical, tangible, you know, so Mike's saying lights of the, on the tree, lights in our houses, lights in all the light shows or and then we have the light of the world. So there, there's physical light, but not much emphasis on the spiritual light, which would be true. You, you, here's a big category in my mind. 
you know, the different kinds of music. Um, you got music that is happy, and even some of it's nice, and it's very culturally pleasing, and world peace, and blah, 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 not because it's inherently bad, per se, but it is definitely music that is devoid of any concept of God or the true meaning of Christmas. There's a lot of that out there. Sherry? Yeah, I mean, that would be the biggest category, that this is not, this is not the true version of Christmas. This would be more on the, a lie, and, and this would be the truth. You know, that, that would be probably under the category of everything could fit into that, right? Anyone else think of contrast or anything along those lines? Um, I wanted to take a little time, because we got that in our mind. I, I want to build on that contrast. That, if I get this done tonight, I'll be happy. And I wanted to build on the contrast. You know it's true in our culture, between the culture and the church. And there's very opposing viewpoints of the meaning of Christmas and between darkness and light. Um, but I wanted to go through and I wanted to say, as we talked about and give, we gave the gospel this morning, I want to see what it means in our lives and how we should know um, where we are when it comes to light and darkness. So I'm going to have us look at a number of scriptures, but turn to 1 John. The theme, the motif, uh, light versus darkness, is prevalent in a lot of ways throughout all of Scripture. John in the New Testament, whether it's his gospel or the three epistles or the book of Revelation, all of those are inundated with it. But I want to look at tonight and give some time about how you can know the status of light and darkness in your life. Okay? So we're going to read some verses together, and I want you to follow along with me, all right? So 1 John, let's start with the first chapter. We're going to go through a few of them here, and we're going to read some and make some observations. So I, I want to give you, my goal tonight in application would be to give you a, a little fuller understanding about what the New Testament says. Maybe if I, I put a little more information in the term darkness. So if you were in darkness and you turned to light, what exactly does that mean? Um, we used it generically this morning. I said that usually in the New Testament and Old Testament, um, darkness means two things. Moral darkness and then spiritual darkness, meaning when it comes to truth. So there's some doctrinal darkness and there is some deed darkness, some belief darkness, some behavior darkness. We said those two, and, and those two categories are pretty good ones to use. John and his epistle that we're going to look at in 1 John does that for us. And uh, so let me show you some things that you can use to uh, give evidence of whether you have light or darkness in your life. And let me start with 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Now here's where we're starting. We're not starting whether we have it or not, because we're not the standard. Okay, what is the standard of being light and being darkness? It's God. Okay, here's what we proclaim to you, that God is light. Not that he walks in the light and does things that are characteristic of light. That is true. But we first start with a, can I, if you want to mark it down, the verb is. It's an identity marker. God is light. It's what his nature is. It's what his, his essence is. It's, what, it's part of what makes him God. Um, he is Light. That's why he, not only in 1 John does loving things, but he, God, is love. 
this is who he is. He can't do anything else. So here's what makes up God's identity, that he is light. And notice, then we're going to explain that. And in him is no darkness at all. So God is 100% light, 0% darkness. He has no darkness. So we would say this, God has never sinned. He can't be tempted with sin. And he has no possibility of doing sin because it would go completely against his nature. He doesn't have the capacity. Okay? Now, notice that standard, that understanding. Now, what that has to do with you and me. Verse 6. And there are, if you want to look at the passage, all right, there are three, or actually four, maybe a little bit more, five. There's five conditional phrases that fill out the rest of this paragraph. And they all start, if you want to circle them, they all start with the word if, okay? So they're kind of like little tests. We've, We've established God is the light. He has no darkness. That's the standard. Now, if we're going to figure out where we are in that situation... Here are some conditions we have to look at. And so I'll give them to you. Verse 6 starts with if. See it? Verse 7, but if. There's a second one. Verse 8, if. Verse 9, if. Verse 10, if. You see all those? They're all starting in a row. And we want to be able to compare whether that's true in our lives. Are we like God or not? That's really the question. To make it more clear, do you have, are you in the light like God is in the light? And here's how you can find out. First one, verse six. And notice how these are often, uh, verse six says, if we say. Verse eight says, if we say. Verse 10 says, if we say. So what we're going to learn about truly being in the light and not in the darkness is that what you say has to match up with what you do. Do you see that? Because it's not enough in God's eyes to say that you're in the light. That's not enough. People who say they're in the light can be in darkness. And that is the theme I'm going to show you in 1 John. That you can say it all you want, but if your life doesn't back it up, it's not true. All right, so let's look at them. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we have, we are right with God vertically, what also has to be equally true is that we have fellowship with one another in a right way horizontally. Look what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him while, at the same time, we walk in darkness. So in other words, I know God who is in the light, but I treat my brothers in a dark kind of way. Here's what he says. You don't know God. You don't really have the light. Because you can't have a relationship with God vertically and treat people like darkness horizontally. If those two don't match up, you're lying. And that's not my words. Those are his. Notice what it says. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, what is the next word? We lie. So God says it's not that you're backslidden. It's not that you made a mistake. Um, It's that you're a liar. Okay? If that's the pattern and characteristic of your life, then we all don't treat each other like we should every time. There's no doubt about it. But what we're talking about, the pattern, okay, of condition of your life. He says we lie and notice the phrase, and we do not, and do a search on your own. Great study in First John. We don't practice the truth. Go look up practice and see how important your lifestyle is to having assurance of salvation because it's crucial. But in contrast, 1-7, but, notice the contrast, 
Verse 6 was, if you walk in darkness. But here's what it says. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, in contrast to that, we have fellowship with one another. Now, now see, here's, he's going to tell you the difference. Walking in darkness means that I'm not just sinning and I have a bad lifestyle overall general. That could be true, but he's very specific about what the darkness is. Let's put a little information in the word darkness. Ready? What is it? Darkness is thinking you know God and treating your brothers wrong. That's darkness. And if you walk that way, see the word walk? If, you, if that's your lifestyle, then you don't know God. In contrast to that, but if your walk or your lifestyle is that you have fellowship, because you walk in the light, meaning you walk with God, here's what it'll look like. You have fellowship with one another. See? So the vertical and horizontal match. And how is that possible? What is the difference? He's going to tell you. How is one walk, say he's right with God, but really is in darkness. The other one says he's in the light, and it's really true because he walks in the light, and he has fellowship. What's the difference between the two? Because the second one has this factor that the first one doesn't. The blood of Jesus, his son, is constantly cleansing him from all sin. That he really does have a relationship with God because that relationship has come through Jesus. Not keeping Torah, not being a good person, not being religious, none of those things. It's the blood of Jesus that allows that to take place. Next one. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so what do we do? Here's the second proof. How do people handle their sins? So if you do blow it, and you don't treat your brother or sister right, and you've got something upset with them, here's how, see, the people who are in darkness will hold grudges, and they're going to get bitter, and they're going to have uncontrolled anger, and, and they say that they have no sin, and then they see themselves, and the truth's not. But if we confess our sins, see, we confess means it's a, Compound Greek word means to say the same thing. In other words, if I say the same thing about my sin that God says about it, then I have a right relationship with him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So there's two ways. Watch. You can be a liar if you say you love God but you don't like your brothers. That's a liar. And we make God to be a liar when we say that we have no sin and we have our own righteousness. <coughs> Those are two types of liars. We become a liar and we make God a liar. All right? <coughs> Excuse me. Can you turn over to chapter 2? We're going to build on it. Chapter 2 and verse 8 <coughs> of 1 John. At the same time... It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So again, what's the standard? God, because it's true in him and it's true in you. So what is Christianity and its core? You are like God. And how do you know that? Because we look at Jesus. He is the manifestation of God. So Christians who have been saved by Jesus will be like Jesus. Do you get that? Those are real Christians. Real Christians are people who've been saved by Jesus and live like Jesus, not one without the other. So he says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because, here's the reason, ready? The darkness is passing away, 
and the true light, which is true versus false, right? True light is already shining. And what would it look like if you have been taken out of the darkness and the true light has shined on you? Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light, now what is the darkness? We're going to define it. It's relational darkness. <coughs> he says, and whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I, I, let that phrase just go deep on you. Still in darkness. Meaning, here's the idea. And in, in, in the original text, it says in the Greek, until now. The word still really isn't the translation. It's really, it says he's in darkness until now. In other words, there was a time in this person's life where they said they became in the light. And maybe, like, you know, not to scare anybody, but you could be giving your testimony. Hey, there's when I became in the light and I take out darkness. But you know what the Bible says? That there are people who think that this was the beginning of the light in their life. But down the road right here, they, still, they say they have light, but they're still in the darkness. They are until now, meaning they're still in there. They think it's changed here, but it really hasn't. They're still in the darkness, and they don't even know it. And the reason is what? It's because how they treat other Christians. That's what the Bible says. Whoever loves his brother, verse 10, notice what kind, abides in the light. It's not enough to say you have it. You have to demonstrate it by abiding in it. It remains in you. It shows in your lifestyle and the way that you live. It abides. It stays inside of you and works outside of you. Abides is a big word in 1 John. Abi and abides in the light and hates his brother still dark. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. It's the Greek word scandalon, right? It's the Greek word scandalon, and it means an offense. In other words, when you're walking in the light with God and you're loving your brother, there won't be a cause for anybody to be scandalized by the way that you live. They won't see the disparity between you loving God and loving others. One last verse here. But whoever, verse 11, hates his brother... Again, he's going he's to say, it is, now notice the difference. And he's in the darkness and walks in the darkness. So if you're in it, you're going to walk a certain way. And if you're in the light, we've learned you're going to walk a certain way. My kids growing up, I've told you this probably more than uh, once for sure. And my kids have all prayed prayers to accept Jesus when they were smaller children. But as they grew up and became teenagers, um, they did not walk in the light uh, on a regular basis, and so they would be scared by it at times, and they would ask me if they thought they were really Christians, if I thought they were, and I would, I would not give them any confidence because, number one, it's not my job to give people confidence in their assurance of something. That's God's job. He, he speaks to your heart to tell you whether you're truly, a, I can't give you that, but I can tell, point them, and I did, to the scriptures, and I said, you know, based on the walk, you don't walk like you have the light, not because of one any instant or event, but the overall, in my two boys both made professions of faith when they were below single-digit kids, you know, six, eight, nine, ten. But they really didn't get saved till they were in their twenties, uh, similar to what Sherry said. And the reason was is they came to the realization that hey, this is what I say about God in me, but this is what happens with others, 
in my family and outside of it, and, and that's not, doesn't gel, doesn't go together. And they, and they came to know the Lord in their 20s. But here's what John says. If you are in the darkness, you'll walk in the darkness. And here's the thing, and you don't know it, but you don't know where you're going because the darkness has blinded the, uh, your eyes. That is a scary thing. And if I could just throw in a reference here, if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, don't turn there, I'm going to read it for you. 2 Corinthians 4 says, and this blindness of darkness is not a Christian thing. It's a, it's a lost person's uh, situation. Let me show you the verses. 2 Corinthians 4 says, and even if our gospel, verse 3, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, listen to this, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinding people's eyes to their spiritual reality is a work of the devil. Um, That's what's part and parcel of being a non-believer. So in these pe- what, what John's trying to say is, the reason you don't see that you're not a Christian is that's what Satan's done to you. He has blinded you to the reality through either false teaching or because your lifestyle has led you so far away from the truth that you no longer recognize it. So it, it's a very difficult and, and obviously a, not a place that you want to be in your life. Anybody here tonight have a testimony along those lines. I'm not trying to pull something out that isn't there. Anybody have a testimony that we, uh, you made a profession, profession other than share when you were younger and you came to the realization as you got older that you didn't really know the Lord? You don't have to give a testimony about that. It, was that true for anybody? Sherry was one. My, you know, others, my family were too. Anybody else faced that or did you have confidence the whole time? I, I think if most people, I've had so many people Adult, I had a deacon in my church one time come forward at an invitation. I wasn't sure why he came forward, but I talked to him, and he was, well, I was in my 20s. He was in his probably late 30s, maybe 40 even, um, but he came forward and shocked me, and uh, he said he wasn't sure he was a Christian. Um, I, that has always stuck with me. Um, here's a guy who was a deacon in our church, family, had kids, uh, well-respected, but in his life, he wasn't sure whether he was a Christian. And it always came back to me, and we talked about it and worked through it with him. Um, but I've always thought that it's good to preach texts like this to make sure that you are not being deceived about where you are spiritually in your life. Um, so darkness for us. Darkness is something that is true of unbelievers. Um, it is who they are, and it's what they do. Same is true with Christians. Let me go a little further with that. Let me take you to a few other texts tonight also. If you could turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, 13, sorry. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. I want to see what God has done for you. And let me see, uh, let me start with verse 12, Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See it there? How has he qualified you? How did he make you worthy of sharing in the inheritance you have with Jesus in the light? Here's how he did it, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. See this? And transferred us 
So we're talking about polar opposites. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we were in darkness. That's what our identity was. And because of that, that's how we live. And he transferred us. In other words, we went from one place to another. Right? You get transferred for your, for your job. You have to move from this city to that city, take a new position. Same thing spiritually. This is your position. You've transferred from this place to this place. You have a new position. Now you have an inheritance in the saints in light. That denotes change. Can I say it bluntly? Christmas is about change. Change meaning not a change only in your destiny. And most people think that that is actually the number one thing that God's concerned about. It is more of a result than it is an aim. God is more concerned, let me say, let, let me say at least equally concerned, that not only does he get you into heaven, but he gets heaven into you. And, and I can tell you this, if heaven's not got into you, you are not getting into heaven. That, that's the truth of the Bible. And what he wants you to know is that you've been delivered. In other words, see how he talks about it? The domain of darkness. In other words, you were controlled by it. That's why you lived the life you did. That's why you talked the way you did, lived the way you did, dressed the way you did, your values, your morals, your ethics, or lack thereof. Because you were under that domain. But when you become a Christian, you're not under that domain anymore. And what boggles my mind is people can say to themselves, well, I've been transferred to the light, but live still under the domain of darkness. It doesn't work. That's not change. So because if Christianity is only a change of your destiny, in other words, I was going to hell, and now I'm going to heaven, but nothing else changes, that's not the Bible concept of Christianity. Because otherwise, there wouldn't be such an emphasis on what you practice and how you walk. It's not because we earn our way to heaven or we do something to merit our salvation, but the reality is if you have the light, you will walk in the light. And if you don't, and you walk in the darkness, let's go backwards. If you walk in the darkness, let's, what does it mean? That you are in the darkness because your identity determines your activity. So Christianity is not only a change of your destiny. It is a change of your desires. It is a change of your deeds. And truthfully, the whole framework of how you think and live your life. Not perfectly, but patternly in your life. Another verse that brings that out is 1 Peter Actually, let me go first. Uh, Ephesians, turn back one book. Chapter 5. Let me show you the, the connection between who you are and what you do. They cannot be separated. You can't claim who you are. This, you can't claim this is your identity if it doesn't lead to the same activity. Okay? Paul's going to say it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, lost people, dark people. Therefore, don't become partners with them. Why? Because that's what, listen to this, that's what you were in the past. See, darkness no longer characterizes you. That's what he says, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. Notice the change. This is what I was and this is what I am. But now, see it? Once was, but now, you are light in the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. You are light. Remember what we said about God in 1 John? God is light. Does God do things 
characterized by yes he does but here's his god's identity he is light it's part of his essence so when you become a christian and god saves you what becomes your identity will you get the same one he has not because you're deity by any stretch but you get the same idea here's what look what it says you were but now you are light in the lord so what do you do walk as children of light see that see the difference I am light, so I act like it. Who I am determines what I do. If I am light in the Lord, I will walk as, listen, children of light. It's a family connection. In other words, I'm proving that God is my father because I'm acting like one of his sons. But if God is light and I live like darkness, I'm proving I know who my dad is. It isn't God. That's, a, that's an argument in 1 John 2. How do we know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil? Because one practices darkness and the other one doesn't. Cain is the example if you read 1 John chapter 3. So here, here's what he says for us. But now you are light and the Lord walk as children of light for the, ready? The fruit of life, light. See the fruit? In other words, yes, if you have the root of light, you will have the fruit of life. It will bear fruit. You don't just say, hey, my destiny's changed, but I never bear any fruit. I never change. I never grow. I never mature. I don't, see, that's not what light is. If light is the root, then light will bear fruit. Light is found that in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, that will be the aim of the people who have real light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm hoping that just going through all these texts make it so prevalent to you about this connection and at the same time contrast of light and darkness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Notice the contrast, but you, you are not in darkness, brothers, that that day should surprise you like a thief. Notice the identity phrase, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. See what he's saying? Darkness people are going to be destroyed by God's wrath, but that should never overtake you. You are children of light, so live as children of light, and you'll be ready for the day when God comes in judgment. So then let us sleep, not sleep as do others, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep in the night. So if you're in the night, you're in darkness, you are sleeping. You don't know the judgment's coming. God's going to come and bring his wrath, and you won't be ready. It'll take you off by surprise, and you won't be judged for it. He says, but that shouldn't be God's people. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, we're ready for it. We're sober. We're looking for it, and we're fighting against the darkness, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of salvation, a hope of salvation, because we're not called to wrath we're we're called to salvation through our lord jesus christ see that one has been called to wrath and the other one yes it changes your destiny do you see that but if your destiny has changed you won't be asleep in the night 
You won't be oblivious to spiritual reality. You'll live it out and it'll change your life because who you are determines what you do. It's not just a change of destiny. It's a change of desire. It's a change of deeds. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. But you, and again, almost all these contexts are contrast. But you, in contrast to those who stumble at Jesus as a rock of offense, they can't handle him as the Messiah because of how he lived and died. But you are a chosen race. These are Exodus quotations about Israel that are being applied to the people of God in general. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are Exodus terms. That you, what's the purpose? Why did God make you his chosen race, his priesthood, his own possession, his treasure, literally? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him, watch, who called you out of darkness. You, know, you don't belong to it anymore. And into his marvelous light. What does that mean? The meaning of Christmas is that we live in a dark world, but light has come in Jesus. And if you have that light, what would it mean? Look what he says, verse 10. And these are quotations from the book of Hosea. Israel was in a horrible dark place. They were totally immoral spiritually. It's spiritual adultery. God had his prophet Hosea, which is another name, Yahshua, which is Jesus' name. Hosea mirrors Jesus' life. When God tells him to marry a prostitute, picturing what Israel was like spiritually, Hosea marries Gomer. She's unfaithful to him. But God works through that situation with patience and brings out a people of God. And he says, Hosea chapter 1, quotation, verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, you were, see, remember the Ephesians? You once were this, but now you're this. Same language. Once you were not a people, but now. See, there's a past used to be in the darkness. He called you out of that. That meant you were not his people. That means you had an identity that wasn't connected to Jesus at all. But now you do. Now that's changed. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. He claims you as his own. And he's going to repeat it. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So if you have been saved, you have been graced, you have given, God's given you his mercy. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. They are opposites of the same coin. Mercy is you deserve wrath and judgment. He didn't give it to you. So here's the catch. The fact that you're in light and not in darkness anymore isn't because of you or anything you could do. It's because God had mercy on you. You should have been destroyed in your darkness. You should have been judged and condemned by God in your darkness, like I should have been. But in his mercy, he didn't give us that. In Jesus Christ, he saved us. Now, here's the catch. And what would that look like? When you've been called out of darkness and made God's people and he's lavished his mercy on you, what will it look like? Verse 11. Beloved, since you are his people, in other words, you don't belong to this world. You're not of the world's people. You don't live in that darkness anymore. What would you live like? I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember the exodus? You're, you're not people who are from Egypt anymore. You're headed to the promised land. So live like it. 
And what does it look like when you do? Here's what he says. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war, wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct, your lifestyle, among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation when he comes to bring judgment and salvation and glory, that they'll give glory to God and they'll be in the light with you. See what he says? So if you are a new people and you have God's identity and you are now been lavished with his mercy, you won't give in to the lust of the flesh as a lifestyle. You won't. You're going to keep your conduct honorable. When people look at you, they'll see something different because you have been taken out of darkness and into the light. We have five minutes left. That's what it means for you and I, identity-wise. But there's more. Now, once that's true and you've established that and you're assured of it in his life, can I tell you there's one more thing. Put this last concept together, an application. The meaning of Christmas becomes the mission of Christmas. Can you put those together? Let me show you what I mean. Remember, from going from darkness to light, that is the meaning of Christmas. That's why Jesus came. When he saved us, that's what he did for us. What else? So once that is true of you, what does that mean? You will live differently, listen me, and you live for a different purpose. You have a different pattern. It's Jesus, but you also have a different purpose. The meaning of Christmas becomes the mission of Christmas for you. Let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 in verse 18. You know the life of the Apostle Paul well. Three times in Acts 9, 22, and 26, Paul rehearses the story of his conversion for different audiences. Okay? But... Some of the details are the same. Chapter 26, however, adds things that the other two do not have. And one of them is not only how Jesus saved Paul on the Damascus Road, but what he saved him for. Not just what he saved him from, but what he saved him for. We have been focusing and emphasizing tonight, mainly when the darkness to light thing is what Jesus has saved us from. But I don't want to leave it there because that becomes self-focused too much. You know what Christmas means? Is that you have been saved from darkness, listen, and you have been saved for the darkness. Let me show you what I mean by that. You've been saved out of it so that you could go back into it. Let me show you. Because Paul's going to tell us the meaning of Christmas has become the mission of Christmas. It's not only Jesus' mission, but now as his disciples, it is ours. Here's what Jesus told Paul when he knocked him off his animal on the road to Damascus and saved him. 26 and verse 16. I, let me start with 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. See that? He didn't just save him so he wouldn't go to hell. He saved him so that other people wouldn't go to hell. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as his servant and witness to the things in which you have seen uh, me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering you from, pe from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Sending you missions. And what is he sending him to do? Exactly what God just did for him. God did it metaphorically. Remember when he, got, he was blinded by the light and he couldn't see? 
What was the metaphor used to describe Paul's salvation? I can't see. Ananias comes, and now I can. He was in darkness. He was blinded. But now he can see. He can see Jesus. Also, what else? He can see the mission of Jesus. Let's finish it. What, what am I calling you to the Gentiles to do? Where am I, why am I sending them to you, you to them? To open their eyes, purpose, so that they may turn, see it? From darkness to light. And from the power of Satan. Ooh, wow, that, that defines darkness a little bit more, doesn't it? It's not just relationist darkness, it's supernatural darkness. From the power of Satan to God, What's the third purpose? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, I let you come out of darkness to light. I took away your blindness. Here's why. So that you can now take the message of light to everyone else in the world. And can I tell you at Christmas time, please pray. Please pray that the light of Jesus Christ that has flooded your soul would so grip you, so get a hold of the affections of your heart, that you would purposely, intentionally strategize, pray about, go about doing this, is being a light in the darkness that you're in. We've been called out of it so that we could go back into it, that we wouldn't be harmed by it or conformed to it, but transformed, that we would transform it like Jesus did for us. See, the meaning of Christmas has become the mission of Christmas, and that's what you and I have been called to. That's the application. So make it a plan. Strategize it. Do it intentionally. Meet with someone if you can. Have lunch with them. Write them a card, a letter. Send them a present. Do something nice for them. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Show them the light that is in you. Let them see it by what you say and what you do and how you live and how you give them the gospel in your life so that we could be people who are not just light receivers, but light reflectors. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for these applications that we can meditate on and think about. And Lord, it's so easy for us to revel in, and rightfully so, that we've been saved from darkness. Uh, But we've also been saved for the darkness, to go back into it with the light. May God's people at Faith Baptist Church not only be light receivers, but may we intentionally, purposely be light reflectors. That means we have to have relationships. We have to know people who are lost. Help us to be like your son in that way too. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.